Hello, and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. My name is Dylan Norkio, and I'm the Deputy Editor at EventMB. Heat waves, floods, and wildfires seem to be dominating the headlines every other week. They signal the increasing urgency of finding climate-friendly business models moving forward, and the event industry is no exception. Large-scale events like international trade shows are major contributors to climate change, but especially in the wake of a pandemic and as events amble back to business, discussions around sustainability are often met with confusion or even apathy. Are your sustainability goals going to make an impact or are they just there to tick a marketing box? If it's the former, how are you measuring your impact? And if it's the latter, is that because your stakeholders are pushing back on real change or do they just not see the business case? Shauna McKinley has spent over 20 years finding answers to these questions for the event industry. And if you've been following the sustainability coverage on EventMB, it's likely that you've already come across her work. In this episode, Shauna will help to untangle sustainability in events by walking us through setting impactful goals, getting buy-in from stakeholders, tracking success metrics, and leveraging virtual and hybrid formats to reduce carbon impact. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do, don't forget to subscribe. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Shauna, welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. But before we get into the topic too deeply, I was wondering if you could share maybe a little bit about what draws you to sustainability and events. You know, I think sustainable events has been a wonderful vehicle for me to get to know people in ways that um, allow us to connect on shared passions quite simply, you know, it's, I have a lot of opportunities to meet people at event venues or who work with catering companies or who work with hotels. And we bond over really interesting things like um, sorting through trash um, that we have to rescue from a dumpster because it wasn't properly recycled or learning how to sort food waste. And you get to know people in really interesting ways when you get hands-on and just doing tasks like that, because it's such an unusual thing. It often leads to a lot of realizations about, gosh, you know, we're wasting a lot of stuff and we could do better. And this is why it's important to me as an individual. And that sparks, I don't know, connections with people that for me have lasted years and years after, um, you know, we may have done a one-off event in a city where we had a green team where we did this amazing event audit. And um, five years later, they're still in touch about what they're doing to continue to improve um, after the event left town and do new and different things. And I don't know, it's just been a really great way to, to spark connection. So it's about protecting the environment, but it's really about connecting with people who care about it like you do. So as we head into a conversation about sustainability, I think it probably makes sense to define our terms a little bit. 
And when I was growing up, sustainability used to be the language that we use to describe climate and environmental initiatives. But now it's used more to describe a, a much broader range of social and other issues of which climate is one component. So how would you describe sustainability for the purpose of this discussion? Well, I think that sustainability, as you've said, is really a broad idea, and it does include social, economic, and environmental aspects. The most common definition for sustainability is using resources in a way that helps us get what we need now, today, while also supporting the ability of future generations to be able to do the same thing. And today, when we talk about sustainability, usually we touch on what are called the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or the UN SDGs, which are essentially 17 priorities for action that help to build a more environmentally responsible, equitable, and livable world for everyone. And they identify a, a lot of very basic goals, I think, that are quite easy to get behind, a broad range of things like protecting health, providing quality education, reducing inequality, providing decent work and economic growth and designing more responsible forms of production, along with something that I spend a lot of my time on, which is taking action on climate change. Right. Well, I think that makes sense. But given that it's now, you know, something that encompasses all of these different terms, do you feel as though the term has been diluted in a way that might give organizations an easier path to make sustainability claims without addressing climate? I mean, you know, with 17 different goals, it might be tempting for companies to just, you know, pick the low-hanging fruit and then meet their sustainability goals that way. Yeah, I mean, that's a really astute observation. And there's a lot of truth to the comments that you've made. I think that whenever we have a menu of options, we run that risk of cherry picking the goals that are easiest for us or most appealing that don't necessarily address the priority issues that we face or the things that our stakeholders care the most about. Or sometimes maybe we are picking the right goals, but we're going about it in a less effective way or the wrong way, which can lead to things like greenwashing, which is where we make more superficial efforts or make misleading statements about how effective we are in addressing sustainability. So there's a definite risk there. And to me, picking the most relevant or what we call in sustainability circles, the most material goals to us really involves three key things. First of all, we have to be honest in assessing how events in our case are causing harm. So to be credible, we absolutely need to look at our biggest problems in the eye and we have to figure out how to address them. Secondly, we have to talk to our stakeholders. So that means pausing to talk to our employees, to have conversations with our vendors, and absolutely to connect with our event participants about what they care about as well. And the third thing I think that's important is for us to really be mindful of what we can effectively change, because there are some sustainability goals and challenges that are a bit outside of our control. So focusing in on what we can meaningfully impact in a material way helps to avoid that cherry picking risk. I think that makes sense. And I mean, you know, climate is clearly a really pressing issue. And so it's it's important to be able to add that kind of materiality to the way you prioritize your approach to sustainability. But at the same time, you know, the pandemic has had a ruinous effect on the industry and many event planners probably feel like they have other priorities. So what would you say to event planners who care about sustainability, but might not want to prioritize it until they have their lives and their livelihoods back together again? Well, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge that sustainability is very much about economic recovery. You know, we have 
decent work and economic growth as a UN sustainable development goal. So it's logical and it's natural we focus on that as part of sustainability. So is protecting health and well-being. So the duty of care that we're focusing on now to provide safe events is absolutely connected to sustainability too. I think um, the challenge when it comes to climate is that sometimes we have this tendency to use those two other challenges to distance ourselves from how the climate crisis is active in our lives right now. And I think it you know, makes it easier for us to think of climate change as something that affects someone else or it's someone else's problem to solve. But I think that a lot of the recent news we're seeing about floods and drought and heat waves that are impacting all of us globally really suggest that you know, we need a wake-up call. Things are getting worse, they're not getting better, and we do really need to take action now. So the reality is, similar to the pandemic, the ecological crises that we face erode a lot of the certainties that we've come to rely on in the events sector, you know, not the least of which is having a stable climate to schedule events around, having safe and healthy destinations to go to, and being able to predict things like pricing when it comes to core things like food, which we know now the price of food is going up because of issues like climate change. So sustainability in risk planning really enables us to be better prepared for the future challenges that are likely to come. And while we pursue emissions reductions, we're also able to reduce the likelihood that the wake-up calls we're experiencing now will be even more frequent and more severe as time goes on. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the recent, the recent floods and fires certainly make a compelling case for sustainability, but... I imagine that planners who want to prioritize climate will have to square that off with their stakeholders if they hope to balance it with their pandemic recovery. What's the best way for them to relate sustainability priorities to their business stakeholders to get that buy-in? Well, I think there's there's always been a strong case, business case for sustainability, and I think it's gotten stronger in the in the pandemic and in the aftermath as we recover. You know, businesses have learned that meetings can be redesigned during the pandemic in ways that save them cost and time and carbon. I was reading an example recently of a company that was able to achieve 84% cost savings, a 73% reduction in carbon emissions, and a 72% um, reduction in staff time on non-productive tasks like travel by redesigning a large global meeting that had present that had been in one location previously to be done in regional clusters where people didn't have to travel as far and could be connected by technology. So I think the business case with examples like that is abundantly clear to, to business. I think on the supplier side, there's also a lot of interesting opportunities to improve competitiveness through sustainability. One of the things that we've seen over the last several years has been the rise of sharing as a service solutions, which is where planner, where suppliers help planners share things like decor and AV equipment, exhibit materials, production materials across their events in ways that really help to eliminate waste quite effectively, but also help reduce costs and often add convenience for planner customers too. And we can't you know, we can't ignore um, the role that regulation plays. I think if environmental requirements haven't yet impacted your event, they probably will very soon. We see many jurisdictions that have passed or are preparing to legislate bans on things like disposable plastic. And we have others that are facing carbon taxation that will increase the cost of transportation as time goes on. So I think there's a lot of good reasons to act from the business perspective. 
And I also think that planners shouldn't be discouraged if their stakeholders don't respond right away when you try to make a business case, because sometimes it takes time for that impact to become apparent to them. And lack of direct control over some of the big levers we have for climate action sometimes makes it hard to leverage immediate change. So sometimes it takes multiple event cycles of asking and hearing no before you really start to gain traction and hear yes and see progress. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. I think it's really important for planners to understand that they shouldn't be discouraged if they you know, run into some pushback uh, convincing their stakeholders. But I mean, I wonder when it comes to keeping stakeholders aligned and on track, you know, what role do some of the other stakeholders like attendees play? Are there examples of participants creating pressure or a call to action for organizations to, um, you know, prioritize sustainability so that the planner doesn't have to, you know, make the case by themselves? I think in some cases there are, I mean, not all cases, but in some sectors and some events, we see participants playing a really active role. I think that across the board more and more, our stakeholders are expecting us to contribute to climate action, or at least they want to make sure we're not contributing to escalating climate damage. And that type of activity, I think, really poses a risk to a lot of the brands that host events through the negative PR and criticism, and in some cases, boycotts that can result. So in sort of the recent period, I can think of three examples where I see this happening. I think we see it in the sports events sector, where there's been a lot of grassroots efforts by fans to apply social pressure to competition organizers around no longer accepting sponsorship from businesses that pollute or contribute to climate change. I think that in academic circles, we see academics pushing organizers of things like scientific conferences to adopt lower carbon hybrid event formats that enable researchers to achieve a personal goal that they have to fly less. And the other example that I've seen is medical associations where members of associations, so physicians, nurses, for example, are calling on their associations to act on the fact that Climate change impacts health, and by meeting in ways that are more sustainable, we um, see medical associations contributing more effectively to protecting and promoting public health and planetary well-being. So those are a, a couple of examples out there. I think those are really good examples, and I think they, you know, it makes sense, and we've heard colloquially throughout our lives, the social value alignment has become a lot more important and a much more important factor in recent years. But from what you've seen, has the tendency been for event brands to take a more reactive approach or has it become, you know, enough of a social current that companies are taking action of their own volition proactively? Yeah, I mean, I think the tide is, is changing and it's changing more rapidly, you know, before the pandemic hit, climate was very front and center in our consciousness globally, but until this point, I do think that reactive strategies are more of the norm. But because we've seen a very dramatic increase in organizations that are adopting net zero carbon goals during the pandemic, I think that that type of top-down commitment is only going to mean that more travel planners and more events are going to be facing increased pressure to measure emissions, to cut emissions, and show how those types of business activities do contribute to the net zero bottom line and don't detract from it. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. 
Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Okay, so speaking of speaking of net zero, um, I think it's important to kind of establish what what a reasonable goal for an organization looks like. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on net zero, the race to zero. Is that the goal all organizations should be aiming for? And how realistic of a goal is that? So the race to zero is a global campaign to achieve a 50% reduction in absolute greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and achieve zero emissions by 2050. So it's a long-term campaign and it's designed to get all kinds of organizations acting to reduce their emissions in line with the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. So it's open to any organization, including those that operate events. And there's many organizations that are signing onto it. I think at last count, there was something like 120 countries. There was over 3,000 businesses, almost 200 of the world's biggest investment firms, over 600 higher education institutions that had joined on to the initiative, with many of them signing on during the pandemic. So I think that, you know, achieving a 50% reduction in emissions is possible. Um, I'll underline that it's necessary, right? It's not like we have an option if we want to continue to live in a habitable planet. So um, it's it's necessary, but it's it's also possible. I think that it is going to take some hard work especially considering that this campaign in particular discourages reliance on offsets that might allow events to more easily become what's called carbon neutral. So for those events that rely on high emitting transportation to have an experience, I think that they're probably going to find it the hardest to achieve that goal. And they're likely going to need to lean a lot on online and hybrid events to achieve that target. I will say, though, just to sort of wrap up, that we have eight years. So this isn't about going to 50% overnight. It's about if you can eke out 5%, 10%, 25% year over year, what's key is starting now and making incremental progress. That is what will make it possible. I think that's a really good way to set the perspective on the challenge, because obviously thinking about, you know, overnight reducing your carbon emissions by 50% or achieving some kind of neutrality could be a very daunting prospect for many planners. And actually, I think this is probably a good time to get to the brass tacks on how a planner is actually supposed to manage this because, you know, most people can appreciate the abstract value of sustainability, but the task seems kind of insurmountable. And many people, I think, probably just don't, you know, they don't know how or where to start. What would you say to the planner who's listening to this and thinking, I care about climate change, but not enough to become a carbon accountant? (laughs) Well, I'll first of all say you don't have to be a carbon accountant. You don't need to be an expert to start. I wasn't an expert when I started. The most important thing is to make a start 
and to learn as you go. You know, I will say there is a learning curve to mount, but it's possible to move through it. And there are many resources out there to help. And no one knows your event better than you. And that's the best foundation to start from and to build upon. So for me, I, I tend to focus on three critical things to keep in mind when you're getting started. And the first is to begin with measurement because every event is different. And until you take stock of what your carbon impact is for your event by measuring your emission sources, it's hard to know the best steps to take. You're really guessing at what's most effective. So it's important to start by measuring that baseline. And you can opt to use any one of a number of free online calculators. One that I um, often recommend is My Climate because it tends to measure a greater diversity of event activities. So check it out if, if you'd like access to a free uh, tool. They do the carbon accounting for you. Often your carbon offsetter, if you are working to become carbon neutral and you're buying carbon offsets, your offsetter will also often calculate for you for free. And if you're not offsetting, there are options to hire carbon accountants that actually are probably a bit more affordable than you think they are. So you can seek help in a variety of ways. But measurement is a key place to start. If you are looking at hiring a carbon accountant, just like as a ballpark figure, say you run, you know, say you normally would run an international event of like 5,000 people. What, what could you be looking at in terms of how much you might spend on a carbon accountant? Oh, you know, it's, I mean, it runs the gamut, but it's like, it's not massive amounts, you're spending far less to measure your carbon footprint than you would be spending to offset it. And then you also have, you know, data by which to manage reductions, which, you know, will contribute to saving money on that offset. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be um, thousands and thousands of dollars, um, probably, as I say, hundreds, low thousands, depending on the complexity of your event. That's what can tend to drive up the cost. Okay. I think that's really good, good for people to know. It's not... <laughs> It is not going to be a huge sort of bank breaking or budget breaking investment. No, not in not in light of what uh, some of the costs are for a lot of our services that um, we're hiring post pandemic by any stretch of the imagination. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've got those measurements, the second thing I encourage people to do is to then prioritize. Um, you've learned through the exercise of measurement what your biggest emission sources are. So now you can unpack where it makes the best sense to start. And where your biggest emissions come from is really going to vary based on your event type. So we can look at a small local meeting, let's say, or a wedding, um, someplace where people are really just traveling regionally or locally. You can probably find that you can gain a lot of carbon reductions by focusing in on menu planning. Right, serving climate-wise um, menus, making climate-wise food selections. That's very different than what we'd see with an international conference or a trade show, which is probably going to have to focus a lot on transportation, particularly reducing things like airlift wherever possible, but also paying attention to things like choosing a cleaner energy destination or location or venue or booking a greener venue or a greener hotel. I think that's really interesting. It sounds like you know, planners have a lot of say in terms of being able to apply um, consumer pressure and commercial pressure on destinations to make that a priority for vying for business if they, if they choose to use that as part of their RFP process. Absolutely. In the data that we look at, the selection of a clean energy location, so one that has set a target or is moving towards more renewable forms of energy, is actually one of the few things that can help reduce your emissions in the double figures. You know, um, most practices might reduce 
your emissions 1%, 5%, 8%. But once you start to choose cleaner energy locations where destinations are mindful of using renewables, can make a big difference. Um, the other type of events that, of course, we run into are live events and festivals, where, again, the considerations there are a bit different, where you have a lot of probably use of on-site generation, um, high-power AV equipment, production equipment, waste generation. Those will probably be the key areas that you focus in on there. But, again, every event's different, so you measure first to identify where it's best to direct your efforts. And then... The last thing that I think is important to think about is the need for planners to take a really systematic, objective-oriented approach. I think that in the past, sustainability has often been approached as this add-on thing to the planning process, and we think about it after a lot of key decisions have been made. This type of late, very tactical checklist approach, it really limits our ability to affect change and use that influence that you talked about earlier. And honestly, I think it makes sustainability harder than it has to be because, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of working against yourself. So thinking about sustainability earlier and more strategically in your experience design, um, as you choose your format for your event, before you select your venue, your location, and in each and every vendor no, um, negotiation, paying attention to those key decisions is where you're really going to find that you sort of grease the wheels of progress and it becomes okay. easier. Right. Okay. Well, I, I would like to kind of dig into that design aspect a little bit more because I'm sure that a lot of planners are kind of wondering exactly what form those considerations should take. So where can planners look for paradigms and precedents to follow? I mean, Climate change has been a concern for decades, and we seem to be kind of <laughs> flailing about as we as we address it. I mean, as as we said earlier, things are kind of getting worse. So, how would you recommend that they kind of approach that conceptual process early on? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of case studies out there actually for sustainable event efforts that focus on things like zero waste and legacy projects and service projects. I don't think people should have a lack of, of information on those things. I think our various industry associations have profiled a lot of those types of examples in the past. However, I don't think that there are a lot of precedent setting examples out there when it comes to events setting deliberate intentions in line with the race to zero yet. Very few events are considering climate goals at the very outset of planning and baking them into design choices early on, unfortunately. Um, and while a lot of online events during the pandemic caused dramatic um, reduction in emissions, climate was not really the driver, of course. And there's been very little data collection about the actual emission-saving benefits that online events have provided um, over the last 18 months. There's select case studies, but there's not many of them. So I think there's a definite gap that needs to be filled here. And more and more is coming out as people sort of um, come into 2020. We're finding that they're backfilling some of the case studies of their online events um, that were you know, really effectively designed last year. But I think that filling this gap is really going to require a shift in focus away from looking in the rear view mirror about sustainability in the way that we have in the past and thinking about it only as a variation on what we did pre-pandemic. It's really time to write a new set of rules that are very forward focused on meaningfully reducing emissions at the earliest stages of the event planning process in a more intentional and game-changing way. And if anyone has case studies out there, I would love to hear of them. I think one of the most significant shifts, if we're trying to reorient our, our planning and strategizing around a forward focus that looks at new developments rather than relying on sort of what's happened in the past to, uh, to dictate 
our options for the future. I think one of the most significant shifts in the industry has been obviously the move to virtual and hybrid formats imposed by the pandemic and the restrictions on our ability to meet. So how has the advent of virtual events changed the considerations and the options for event planners? I mean, do you think these benefits that we've been experiencing, these sort of climate-related benefits, will outlast the pandemic? So I'm a practical optimist, and my short answer to that question is absolutely 100% yes. <laughs> you know, I think Great. that, <laughs> you know, the, the longer answer to that is that virtual events give us the most effective tool that we have in the toolbox right now to reduce emissions today. The case studies that I've been looking at um, during the pandemic, um, the carbon calculations that I've been doing for online events, they, they suggest that the emissions reduction potential of a virtual event starts at about 67% carbon savings and it goes up from there. We've actually had case studies where the uh, missions have shrunk by as much as 98% when we shift to a fully online event. And this includes hybrid formats, right? So we're not completely giving up the um, the, the on-site activity. Those those 98% events are kind of outliners. The range tends to be 67 to 89%. And if, if people are interested in learning more about the footprint of their digital events, there is a free digital event carbon calculator that they can check out online, which I know has been linked in previous blog posts on Event Manager Blog. So it um, is one to check out. But it's not all about the carbon to me. You know, there's a lot of benefits beyond the climate change benefits. Virtual formats also allow us to enable a more user-centered event design for our experiences. I think that we do have many people that are really excited to get back to returning to in-person experiences, absolutely. But I also think we have many others who've now come to expect the virtual option as the way that they want to consume and get their content and receive their education in a way that fits with the needs and the desire that they have to stay closer to home for whatever reason. I also think that virtual event technology improves our resilience to crisis. So digital platforms will continue to provide that sustainable resilience solution that helps companies stay connected when travel is a you know, disrupted the next time because odds are it will happen again in a climate crazy world. Yeah. The other um, benefit, co-benefit of virtual meetings, I think, is allowing us to focus more on how we can improve equity. And I know over the last year and and then some, there's been a lot of conversations in the event industry about how to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion at events. And I think we've had a lot of good conversations about what that means in terms of hiring in our own organizations, speaker diversity, supporting minority-owned businesses, and those types of things. But I also think that you know traditional events can sometimes require um, cost-prohibitive investments to be able to attend. And that approach can be counterproductive to equity because it contributes to keeping events as a pretty privileged activity. So one of the things that hybrid and online events can do is break through some of those physical and financial barriers that fundamentally restrict people's ability to participate. And I think there's exciting potential there as well. So for all of those reasons, um, you know, I'm quite excited about what the future could hold if hybrid virtual online formats become a more permanent fixture? Well, it definitely looks like they will be. I mean, based on all the data that we've collected um, through our state of the event industry surveys, which we conduct more or less quarterly, uh, 
the the majority of people definitely plan to continue using some some type of virtual component going forward. So it looks like the pro prognosis is good for <laughs> for the format, and uh, mm -hmm. and it's definitely a positive thing if it has a positive impact on sustainability. So in addition to, I mean, obviously virtual events and hybrid events and new formats becoming a permanent fixture is definitely a positive shift within the industry for sure. But there are all kinds of other shifts that are required in terms of top-down support. We can't expect event tech providers to take us all the way to our 2030 goals. I'm really interested to know what role you know, should event professionals expect trade associations to play in furthering sustainability goals within events? Because we, we ask uh, for the satisfaction with trade associations in all of our uh, state of the event industry research as well. And according to the Q2 research from this year, 30% of event professionals are not satisfied with the job uh, our trade associations are doing to represent our interests. So I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, well, my bias when it comes to representing my interest and those of my clients comes from a desire to be able to effectively reduce emissions, right? Climate action tends to be the top UNSDG that's focused on. So what I would look to associations to do is to advocate for infrastructure improvements that allow us to more easily do that. The fact is that a lot of the infrastructure we rely on at events is not easily decarbonized. It's not easily clean or low carbon. You know, we look at the energy we get off the grid. It's very difficult. It's impossible to change for an individual event um, when you're planning, you know, year to year or month to month. Those things change over many years and decades. When we look at things like electric vehicle infrastructure, there's a real need within our destinations to incentivize and enable a transition to cleaner burning vehicles. When we look at decarbonizing our big transportation systems like aviation, for example, and freight, you know, it's possible to be more efficient, it's possible to promote sustainable aviation fuels, but there really needs to be policy incentives to increase the pace of progress. Um, and in addition to that, I'd say, you know, we could better help our venues and our hotels meet the climate challenge by providing incentive programs for things like retrofitting, energy efficiency upgrades, climate adaptation plans that allow them to be better resilient to the local changes in climate that's happening. So all of these things are where the hard work that I referred to earlier has to happen. And I think that as our voice at the government table to advocate for policy change, industry associations could coordinate um, messaging and coordinate demands for those types of things that really make us all better off and make sustainability much, much easier and make the race to zero um, a much more realistic proposition for professionals. Very good insights, Jana. Um, you know, I think you're I think you're spot on when it comes to industry associations. I think very, very good takeaways, a lot of food for thought throughout the podcast. So thank you very much for, for coming on. Um, but before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you one question, which we ask of all of our guests, uh, which is who else should we have on the on the podcast? Well, gosh, I have I have two thoughts on that. One is um, with my climate action fangirl nerd hat on. <laughs> I'm always interested in what people outside of our sector think about our sector and innovative solutions to the challenges that we face. So when it comes to climate, you know, um, 
one woman that I follow is uh, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is um, a very respected uh, research scientist in climate change, but is focused on having conversations that bridge people who are not necessarily climate experts with the topic of climate change and connecting it to very practical aspects of their work and life. So I'd be, I'd love to listen to her insights on how events can be more sustainable and pursue climate action. Um, that would be very cool. The, the second thing, I know you only asked for one, but the second topic, um, and it builds on the equity conversation you and I had, that I think um, would be wonderful to see discussed more in the events sector are the perspectives of Indigenous people. This kind of gets broadens the definition of sustainability to be more socially focused. But I think that from a destination development perspective, from a welcoming experience perspective, an equity and sustainability perspective, um, more coverage of Indigenous perspectives, Indigenous businesses within our industry would be very interesting for me to learn about as a student. I agree. I agree completely. That would be extremely interesting. And if you could connect me, <laughs> if you could connect me with um, with anyone, or I mean, anyone who's listening, if you want to, uh, if you want to get in touch, please do. I would be very interested to develop a story like that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Shauna, thank you so much once again for, for coming on. This has been a fascinating discussion. And uh, I look forward to the next one. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.